This is Designing the Revolution. You're listening to Chapter 27, Assemblies and Ecstasy. It's part three. Okay, so I think, I think I've got this organized. There's gonna be four, four parts to this, to this section on assemblies. And in the first two uh, episodes, we talked about the sort of theoretical ideas, this big breakthrough, as you might say, in how we organize democracy. So we were looking at the nature of democracy, the, these different elements once you start breaking it down, representation, uh, who sets the agenda, the need for deliberation to talk about things. And then we've got this breakthrough, <coughs> this breakthrough proposition, right? Which is exciting because we've got something new for the 21st century, not just rehashing all the old, old ideas. So it's new idea, which obviously is a really old idea, but it's, you know, it's new, let's put it like that, which is having sortition, selecting people by chance. That means you take out the corruption, you take out... Um, um, money, influence and all this sort of stuff and you've got a space for deliberation so people in principle make more rational pro-social decisions. Alright so this is this is a major breakthrough we're not saying it's going to be utopia but it's better than as I said rehashing all the old dilemmas and problems and what have you. Alright so in this episode we're going to hit the real world because it's valid and important to do theoretical work, you know, to create an ideal type of something that is new. But as we all know, everything that is exists in a context, there's stuff around it. And in a social situation, you can say, okay, we're gonna do assemblies and then when and where, you know, in 2023 in the UK. Okay, so if you're gonna do it in that context, there's all these different elements, right, that are knocking around, which are fairly unique, which didn't necessarily exist 20 years ago, and such like, and if you go and do another country, you know, maybe it's slightly different. And this particular context, as we've discussed many times in these episodes, is an objectively revolutionary context, in the sense that it's not a classical reformist context where the system is objectively functional, you know, there's some problems, you pay something to an NGO, you have political parties, they trundle along, sometimes they, sometimes they sort things out, sometimes they don't, sometimes you have to do a little campaign. But fundamentally, objectively, or at least in terms of how people see it in society, society is fundamentally okay, and you're just changing bits of it, issues, campaigns and such like. Then you have the sort of revolutionary period where the whole system's collapsed and you've got a new regime, a new political regime in more full-on revolutions. You've got a social transformation as well. There's chaos, there's lots of new ideas, you know, really good potentialities, really bad potentialities, right? And then you've got the, what we might call this pre-revolutionary period where the system is already dead, right? It's sort of a zombie system and it is inevitably going to collapse. And 
in the old days, people would say it was inevitable because of social dynamics, which, you know, arguably were likely, but not necessarily inevitable. And in the present context, it's because of the ecological, physical system that we're in, which objectively is going to collapse for the same reason that ice melts when it's hot, right? It's an impinging objective system that is going to destroy our capitalist economy because the capitalist economy is destroying the basis of life, the physics and the biology on which we uh, rely. Okay, so we've been talking about this enough and uh, you can look at previous episodes to go into that in greater depth. So the particular point here is, is in a pre-revolutionary episode in social history, what often happens is that the elites, the regime, the king or whatever, will appropriate various democratic institutions or democratic innovations in order to prop up the regime. In other words, it's a performative, manipulative, appropriation routine. So, for instance, you know, before the English Revolution in the 17th century, the king held parliaments, you know, it's, come on, you know, I need some money, we need to talk about this. It was all a ruse. He, the only reason he wanted it was to get some legitimacy, some money. As soon as it was done, that was it. He got rid of the parliament or the parliament caused a fuss, he'd get rid of it. And he saw this, you know, in lots, in lots of systems which are under coming under massive stress. It's like you, you invite the enemy in, as it were. It's a bit like the Romans inviting the barbarians in uh, before the collapse of the Roman Empire. Now... What we've got in the present moment is this, what you might call democracy industry. No disrespect if someone from it is listening to this, which they may well be. But in a reformist period, you're, you're trying to promote this new democratic innovations, which is, you know, assemblies, citizens' assemblies, sortition, all well and good. And you're trying to persuade the elites to do it, the governments to do it. So the governments, you know, are fairly resistant. But then there's this pre-revolutionary moment when they, when the governments, the, the system starts saying, well, maybe we can use this new democracy to, to strengthen our rapidly weakening position. So then they will hold, you know, the government, the local authorities will hold a participatory budgeting uh, assembly or they'll have a national assembly on nature or there's going to be something on climate change. But it's all phony. It's necessarily phony because if people ask for what they actually want, the system cannot give it, ideologically and materially, as you might say. So what happens is that the process of manipulation and the process of inauthenticity, as it were, is is produced through three interlocking moves. The first move is to set the agenda. So it's like, we're going to talk about climate change, but we're not going to have Roger Hallam on, right? We're not going to talk about rape and slaughter and murder. What we're going to do is do this very repressed, liberal, NGO-esque, you know, we've got a problem here, let's try and fix it together sort of routine. So they, they, they're setting the agenda, what's appropriate to talk about, what's not appropriate to talk about. And also the ambience of it, right? It's not just what the subject is, it's the feel, you know, do people get upset? No, they don't. Is everyone wearing ties? Yes. You know, it's, it's the, really everything's fine. 
in terms of the communication system. Secondly, they don't publicize it. You know, someone said, oh, we need a citizen assembly. They don't want to publicize it because, you know, we don't want to get the mob, as it were, the common people getting the idea they can have citizens' assemblies. So this is something that's happened in the UK. You know, some NGOs ask the government for, a, for an assembly, go, oh, yes, all right then. And, you know, there's a sop. But no one knows what it is. I think there was one in climate change and 5% of the British public knew about it. And then there's another move which is more applies more to like there was a French citizens' assembly on on um, on the climate crisis. And to give them the credit, you know, the French state, French regime, Macron, ostensibly were into it, and maybe they thought they were into it. Who knows? And it did have quite a lot of publicity, and lots of people met, and you know, the agenda was obviously somewhat restricted. Who'd expect that? But the point is, is they came out with, I don't know what it was, 100, 100 different proposals. And don't quote me on this, but I think something like 10, for the sake of argument, you know, 10 were enacted because it was a lie, right? The, the system itself is incapable of doing what is necessary to stop the climate crisis within the confines of an international corporate capitalist system which is geared towards growth and a cultural system that is addicted to material uh, prosperity in inverted commas. Um, <clears throat> so this this has um, this has it creates a big problem because as I've tried to indicate a few times during these episodes, it's this agonising, excruciating tension between this reformist logic, which is, let's stay in the system, we'll persuade the government, let's have another assembly, let's make the assemblies better, and the revolutionary perspective, which is saying, at best you're irrelevant, and at worst you're recreating and perpetuating the lie which everyone conscious, subconsciously or even increasingly consciously knows which is the system is fucked. And so you're denigrating the proposition of deliberative democracy by being involved with the state in 2023 when we're going over two degrees and all the rest of it. Um, during the reformist period, you know, maybe that's a cool idea. At this point, it's a terrible idea, right? At best, it's irrelevant. At worst, you, you're creating even greater social alienation against the system and against any form of democracy. And incidentally, just as an aside, you know, this is quite a common sort of observation about the degeneration of, of democracies is democracies become more corrupt, they're taken over by elites. The elites say it's democracy, but it, people know it's not real democracy because they're not allowed to talk about what they want to talk about. They're not allowed to get what they really want to get. And this is what creates a sort of popularist, reactionary, um, self-destructive dynamics. And people vote in a dictator because they're saying the dictator's better than this this disgusting, fucked sort of liberal nonsense that we're all going to get richer when it's self-evidently not. Let's have, the, if we're going to have a lie, let's have the real lie, right? Let's have a party before we all die. Let's have a fascist dictatorship. Let's scapegoat people and, you know, this, all this ugly dynamic. So my argument is, is at this point in time, during this 
putting this theoretical uh, edifice, as it were, this theoretical proposition of assemblies, citizen assemblies, into the existing system is, is, is done, right? What we need to look at is creating it through popular mobilisation. So this is, I, this phrase I think comes from David Gray, but I might, I might have mentioned it, right? The mob learns to reason. So the elite democracy space only wants the mob to sort of half think about things, right? They don't want the mob, i.e. the ordinary people, to actually start creating their own agendas. They don't want a rude awakening. They don't want people shouting out of turn. They want everything nicely controlled in a bourgeois sort of way. Um, so there's an important aspect to this, which is quite complicated. So hopefully I'm going to explain it sufficiently, which is that the system maintains itself culturally and psychologically by saying that it represents democracy. It promotes democracy. It knows what the public wants and the public wants what it wants um, and, and, and such like. Um, but the reality is that this is not the case. So all these words which are used by the system start losing their meaning. The public, uh, you know, opinion, um, the public sphere, democracy. And then there's this guy Foucault, who I'm sure many of you know. And Foucault and similar scholars like him made this point that that the how a regime maintains itself is by claiming that it is the reality and there's no other reality. So I've been listening to Mark Fisher recently, another guy, someone some of you may know, you know, capitalist realism, which is it's not like we're right and they're wrong, right? It's we're right and nothing else exists. It's not even possible to think about something that's wrong, right? Because we are democracy. We have arrived. There's no alternative to the neoliberal system, like this Tina idea. There's no alternative. And what I would see as like, the house slaves to this system is the democracy space, right? What I mean by that is, is the way this maintains itself is not through the bad guys telling the people this. It's by the good guys, like the reformists, buying into that logic and then telling ordinary people there isn't an alternative. Um, you've got to do a citizen assembly through the state. Um, there isn't a, a common sense outside the common sense of the, of the regime. And of course, this is massively successful, you know, it's like pretty obvious. This is what you should do if you're a regime. But as a regime becomes objectively stressed in the sense that um, it contradicts itself in its own terms. So, for instance, like you may have a re regime which is saying we want everyone to become richer, and the opponents of the regime say being richer isn't going to make you happier, but, you know, you need, you need to do something else. Well, that's one thing. But let's say there's a regime that says, I want to make you all richer, but everyone's getting objectively poorer. That's a contradiction within the terms of the regime itself. 
So as the regime is about to collapse, it becomes contradictory within its own terms. So we see this, you know, at the moment in autumn 2023 with the Tory government, you know, everything he, it says it believes in is contradicted by the product of what it's actually doing. You know, capitalism is breaking down, uh, the free market's breaking down, corporate tyranny is increasing, people are getting poorer, not richer, and all the rest of it. So the move here is for a group of revolutionaries, self-understood as revolutionaries, who use the word revolution, to go into the public space and create assemblies which explicitly are a weapon of transformation. So this old liberal idea that citizens' assemblies, uh, people's assemblies are like neutral, the, the people come together, they objectively look at things. It's like, no, there's a new common sense. The new common sense, the new majority, the new notion of democracy is that the old system is totally corrupt. It's monstrous. It's an imposition. It's destroying the basis of life. So this new revolution is like, in a way, a conservative reaction, which is one of these great paradoxes about the revolutionary history, right? That many revolutionaries in many ways could be described as, as conservatives because they're trying to preserve the social space, social connectivity from the onslaught of the alienating effects of economic collapse, war, climate collapse, right? It's like this, this nightmare is being created and this nightmare is being called democracy and, you know, we're all being polite and bourgeois and all the rest of it, but it's not. So it's this emperor without clothes thing. So the, the, pro, the, the strategy here, the revolutionary strategy, is in this particular context, the pre-revolutionary context, is to say who you are. We're revolutionaries. We're going to set up this assembly. And the reformist forces are house slaves. That needs to be said. They're not your friends. They're not going to do what it says on their tin. They're not going to enable you to influence the government because the government is controlled by capital. What we have to do is to create this, this revolutionary ecology, as you might say, right? Which is grassroots people setting up assemblies, um, having street movements that explicitly support them, the street movements do high-level civil disobedience, you know, disrupting party conferences, disrupting politics as usual. And they've got it, like, on their chest, you know, we are revolutionary, we want a completely different system. So that this new messaging is permeated through the system. And as we know from revolutionary history, initially, this is, like, seen as a total disaster. You know, you're irrelevant at best. You're destroying the alliance of reformist forces at, at, at worst. But subliminally and increasingly consciously, people are going, no, those guys are the real guys because they're being fearless, because they're being authentic, because they're actually saying the emperor has no clothes. And so more people will start coming to the assembly. Um, and it builds up. It builds up from there. So I just want to give a little uh, example here um, of the Russian peasantry during the 19th century and the early 20th century. So this process 
for the sake of argument, happened over, you know, two or three generations. Then the mid-19th century, you had this classical revolutionary move where middle-class revolutionaries, their revolution failed, they decided to go to the people, as this phrase goes, which has been done many times in many different contexts. And going to the people meant going to the peasantry. So it's like, we've got these great ideas, but that it needs to become a mass movement. It needs to be a general mobilisation. We need the people on our side. The people need to know that their objective interests, as you might say, you know. So the story is, you know, they went to the peasantry and ended up getting shot and killed and what have you, because the peasantry were embedded in a medieval, reactionary, conservative, you know, the Tsar's the next thing to God sort of paradigm. That's all they'd known. They hadn't been exposed to any new ideas. Life was really hard, but it it had a certain functionality at the church, you know, dum bum bum. And the key point here is about persistence. So there was various ebbs and flows of this. But by the time you got to the late 19th century, you started making some inroads. And the inroads were partially because these new ideas were coming in about liberty and equality and, and solidarity and secular ideas that, you know, God isn't going to save you and blah, blah, blah. And that, but also you got this, this capitalistic like assault on the traditional way of life you know, introduction of market mechanisms, people get being disrupted, people having to go to cities, families being split up, and, 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 su and such like. And then as the process went in this pre-revolutionary phase, you got two factors. You got the, the uh, intensity of, of this capitalistic assault, you know, these elements becoming even more extreme, uh, social connectivities breaking down, more people going to the cities, people starving in the cities because, you know, there's a big war or something like in 1905. And all this starts creating this churn, this, this psychic fluidity amongst the Russian peasantry where they start going, well, hang on a minute, maybe these revolutionaries are actually on our side after all. And so that's like a middling period. And that's where we're at at the moment in 2023. It's like, are these, these just up oil people, you know, they're twats, but hang on a minute, maybe that's sort of right because it's not looking too good out there, <laughs> you know. And then you have the end game, you know, the end game for the Russian peasantry is World War One, and it's like, hi, hi, I'm the Tsar, you guys, you know, you're going to go and beat the Germans, but we're so totally disorganised, we're not going to even give you rifles, there's no food, you're just going to be slaughtered by the million. It's just a total shit show. And by 2000, you know, 1916, the peasantry has become a revolutionary class. It's like, that's the nail in the coffin. You know, so we can sort of envisage when there's massive food shortages in Britain and people are literally going a fortnight without food. It's like, that's it. You get this big inflection point and your average white van driver is going to go, I'm joining a revolution, you know, I'm over this crap. This is, this is it, you know. Um, so what, what we're seeing with the, with the, with the space of assemblies and citizen assemblies and people's assemblies is, is we're seeing this transformation arguably happen within 20 years, not in two or three generations, from 2010 through to 2030, which is where you've got the intensification of economic stress, economic alienation, no one's getting richer anymore, the rich are running off with all the cash, you know, the stupidity of reformism, the psychosis of the Tory party in the UK of, of the right, 
and this massive like loss of trust and you know distractions into uh, popularism and uh, right-wing popularist sort of uh, modes of looking at the world and the space of the assembly is is has been appropriated by these reformist forces no one particularly likes them it's not going anywhere and then you've got this revolutionary moment this revolutionary uh, strategy where we're coming into that space we're reappropriating the citizens assembly the people's assembly in the context of we've we've set up this assembly today because we believe this country needs a revolution and initially people you know someone said to me the other day oh people will walk out so you've got the walking out phase where people walk out because that's reformist then you've got this phase where people don't know whether they want to walk out or not probably they're not because they're curious because they think well you know maybe these guys have got a point and then you've got the end game where they're standing up and clapping at the beginning of the assembly because someone actually has said how fucked we are and we need a fucking revolution. It's like, yeah, that's what we want. You know, right, let's have an assembly. Let's get on with it. So the, you can see how context is massively important here in terms of strategic prediction. Um, we're not talking about some sort of imposed ahistorical dogma, you know, citizen assemblies are always this they're always that no they're they're a weapon of the system and or they're a weapon of the revolution they're not a neutral space in some sort of you know timeless bourgeois dream world as you might say all right so let's just before we finish on this let's just drill down a little bit on a bit more of the details right so there's two sort of dynamics which i think are important on how the citizens' assembly, people's assemblies, fit into this this ecology of revolutionary change coming up in the next few years. Um, so, what one thing is, and we're going to talk about this more. I think I'm going to do an episode on the plan where we're going to look at it, the plan in more details. But broadly speaking, what we can say is the initiation of creating people's assemblies you know, all around the country. It has to be synergized with a street movement, an existing civil resistance movement, which is promoting that frame. We need assemblies. So we tried this a little bit with Extinction Rebellion. Now we're going to, you know, do civil disobedience and we want citizens assembly, but it was all a little bit lame. You know, it wasn't quite worked out. It didn't have vigor. This has to have vigor, right? It's like you've got a people's movement, you know, which starts off as something quite unpopular like just up oil but it grows in credibility as things get worse and that's out there you know getting on the news saying we know we know want no new oil and we need we need a fucking assembly in this country guys you know we the system needs to change otherwise we're dead so that then synergizes and feed in feeds into these assemblies and these assemblies as, as i said have this revolutionary frame and then as we'll talk in a future future episode, you're going to get these cultural figures. At, at the start, you're just going to get one or two, you know, sort of odd bod guys who've, you know, reached 50 and have made enough money and don't really care what people think of them. But increasingly, you get these second movers coming in who are going, oh my God, you know, we're in a mad panic. I'm going to give you some money. I'm going to publicize, you know, your, your, your assemblies, your civil disobedience. Um, and then you've got these standing in elections. The standing in elections is initially like 
performative, you know, it's a direct action, you're not going to get many votes. It's sort of like, hey, we're here. It's a form of getting publicity and attention. And then increasingly, you know, get to this inflection point where people are actually going to go, actually, that guy is more sensible than, you know, bloody Labour Party. And, and you get this tipping point and maybe they get elected. So you've got You've got the the assemblies embedded in the civil resistance, uh, amplified by the cultural figures, and and going into into the electoral system, not as being appropriated by it, but to agitate within it for its removal, uh, for its destruction, so that we can have this new constitutional arrangement um, of citizens' assemblies running a country along with a whole bunch of other stuff. So we're going to be developing these themes a lot more over the next two or three episodes. But you can see this this is the strategy, right? The strategy is, yes, you're explicit about being revolutionary and you've got this organisational strategy that all these things need to be connected together. And then let's look at actually the site of conflict, as it were. What actually happens? Okay, so let's... Let's choose an episode, uh, uh, something that actually happens as an example of what could happen in various sort of situations. You create a citizens' assembly, so you have your revolution group, we're going to have a citizens' assembly. Great, you know, you raise some money, some guilt-stricken rich person, you know, gives you some money, 100,000, 200,000 pounds. You get, you get your sortition process sorted out you've got your 100 people maybe you've got 140 people you know some of them are going to hear about you and go we don't want to do that maybe but you've got 100 people you're going to be super nice to them we're going to talk about this in the next episode they have the assembly the right-wing press says hang on a minute you know this cult leader roger hallam's organizing it or you know this terrible revolutionary terrorist eco mob uh trying to pervert democracy um terrible you know everyone should should ignore it so the reformist logic and you know i've talked to people about this and some people watching this know right you talk to the reformist space and they say this is terrible you're going to destroy the reputation of citizens assemblies you're going to you know you're going to push us back 10 years you're trying to make these things respectable um you're going to get crushed it's reformist defeatism you cannot go against the system because the system is all-powerful, because of capitalist realism. We've had 30 years of this conditioning, right? But they're wrong, right? Because history changes. And sometimes the unexpected happens. And the unexpected can be predicted, broadly speaking, when you're in an objectively <coughs> pre-revolutionary mode. So what actually happens, this is the proposition. What actually happens is the right-wing press say, Terrible. Everyone should ignore that. That's great. Why is that great? Because everyone in the country is talking about it. Is this some left-wing plot? You know, are these, or is this, you know, is this rubbish? Or is it actually the people starting the mob? Um, what's the phrase? You know, the mob learns to reason. And so you've got these two frames battling out. And of course, the official space has already decided this is nasty revolutionary. Everyone should ignore it. But down the pub or late at night where people are thinking about it or three o'clock in the morning, actually people are going actually this is pretty cool in other words like it backfires because the process of them trying to destroy the citizens assembly idea amplifies it beyond their wildest dreams because you've got 10 million people talking about it in the country and it doesn't matter that 80 percent of them are going yeah it's all that's pretty rubbish because 20 percent of them are going actually that's great and we want to hold one in whole you know 
we want to hold one in Frankfurt, we want to hold one in Pisa, you know, all across the Western world, people going, I want to do that, great. So this is where the, ba the massive backfire that we've, uh, you know, talked about in previous epi episodes. And, and this is like um, the moment of truth, as it were, you know, like there's these moments of truth in history. The, 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 the optics is when, you know, for the sake of argument, the electrician comes out on the steps uh, after the assembly and the electrician out of all authenticity, as it were, as a working class bloke, says, I thought this was all rubbish, but it wasn't actually. It was ordinary British people in UK context. This was ordinary people in this country making decisions. And this is the decision we made. And I changed my mind and I agree. And this is what it is. And then this is the, like, the killer moment is when he goes, and I don't care about the Daily Mail. I don't care about the right-wing press. I used to read them. I used to agree with them. But you know what? They're wrong, right? They don't represent the people. We represent the people. Bang. Like, that's the moment when the whole thing flips, right? The emperor without clothes is shown not to represent the public, not to represent democracy. We represent democracy. Like, the, through the visceral actuality of an actual assembly and these hundred people are coming out and they've just got ordering clothes on and you know they're, they're not posh and 20% of them are black and 80% of them are working class and 50% of them from the north of the country and they're all talking to the media and going yeah you know I'm just an ordinary person doing this stuff and you know what this is what we want in this country it's a massive revolutionary moment and that's what you've got to risk by pre-framing it already as a revolutionary moment right and the revolution is not, you know, then people start talking about the revolution, right? And, you know, I was on a, I was talking to some big ex-Tory politician, you'll probably know who he is, you know, and, and the discussion came up. I said, oh, look, I'm a revolutionary. And, and so they just brought up the, all these tropes, you know, that revolution means tearing things down. It means, you know, chaos. And I was going, no, it doesn't. What's, what's tearing things down is capitalism. What's building things up is a revolution. It's reasserting the conservative desire for order and connectivity and community and rationality and compassion. The system is the revolution in that sense, right? The system is what's tearing down society. And it's when that flip happens through the, all this contestation around citizen assembly, around you know, civil resistance, that's when the conversation, and you only need to have a conversation in a pre-revolutionary period for about five minutes, right, with an average person, and then you get it. They're on your side. The only reason they're not on their side is because of the whole social media situation. Um, so I just, you know, I just leave you with this sort of, this dynamic, just a sort of cousin of this dynamic, as you might say, you know, it's a relative of it, which is the Brexit scenario. So what happened in the Brexit scenario, broadly speaking, is what, intelligent elites do as one of their main moves which is they appropriate revolt in order to reinforce reaction so how that works and loads of people have done it so it's not unique they create a, a movement which has the pretense of it being democratic the pretense of it being a people's movement and then it actually becomes democratic and it becomes a, demo, a, a people's movement and it enacts a reactionary proposition, which is, you know, to leave the European Union. Um, and the move here is to appropriate democracy. In other words, 
when the liberal, you know, the liberal space said, no, 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 you know, this isn't right. They could just do the, the winning card, which is, well, this is what the people of Britain have voted for. They voted for Brexit, tough tits, you know. It's like you, you, you've lost. It's a checkmate move. So what you can sort of see a similarity here with the Citizens' Assembly is what the progressive popular left has to do. Say, here's the Assembly. This is what they've decided. So fuck off, right? You know, we're democracy. We're the people now. And you'll notice that you get the pro-social outcome through the Citizens' Assembly format. In other words, through a deliberative format. You don't get a pro-social outcome through direct democracy, through a referendum, because in a referendum, the social space is dominated by the corporate system, by social media. Because people only think about it for five minutes. Think about, you know, Europe for about five minutes. Yeah, there's loads of things wrong with Europe. Yeah, let's have a change. Let's kick the establishment. OK, I'm voting for Brexit, right? There's a world of difference between that form of democracy, right, and the form of democracy where people sit down and say, OK, let's look at refugees. Talk to a refugee for half an hour. Talk for someone who's, you know, relatives have, have drowned in the channel. Even if you're coming into that assembly as a, you know, fairly happy-go-lucky bloke, you know, that white van driver, after an hour, unless you're really weird, you're going to be going, fuck, yeah, that's really bad. We need to do something about it. All right. So, yeah, this is the sort of rude awakenings part of these four parts, right? This is the third part. It's like we're hitting the real world here. It's not pretty. It's going to be... It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be contestation. Um, uh, but that's this is not a theoretical like set of episodes. This is what we need to think about. All right. So hopefully we've got strategic ducks in a row and how we're going to introduce these assemblies into the public space. And what I'm going to do in the next session is okay. Let's let's look at the actual nuts and bolts of creating assemblies because the devil's in the detail what's the quality of the deliberative process uh, which is crucial right if you're going to get pro-social outcomes so we're going to look at that next and then i'm going to do a big summary of the plan to take power which is sort of fun isn't it <laughs> all right that's it thanks <laughs>